The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. And so the extra piece to add to this exploration, basically so far we've really talked about, I mean, we've talked about these tools that help us to notice this moment of mindfulness returning. Um, and then when you notice that, you know, what's obvious? You know, what's here? What, what are you, what's, what's available to be known in that moment? And not to try to hold on to that tightly. Just that recognition of mindfulness returning and what mindfulness knows when mindfulness returns. And then a little bit of an exercise to extend that for a chore. And so basically recognizing the mindfulness returning and what's obvious in that mindfulness. Another piece of the, of the picture that really takes the mindfulness to a deeper level is not only to notice what's obvious, but also to begin to recognize or check into what my relationship is to what's happening. Um, so noticing, okay, this, this conversation's happening, or I mean, so it might be um, kind of, a sense that, well, what's happening, what I'm noticing is that I'm having a conversation or what I'm noticing is, is um, you know, how my body feels, you know, kind of a, what's obvious is this tension in my body. But what is the relationship? Maybe it's some confusion or some aversion to what's going on. And this really begins to let the mindfulness kind of drop to a deeper level because how we are in relationship to what ha- is happening is really where our, um, our suffering, our confusion, our, you know, how, how we get in trouble is when we aren't aware of what our relationship to something is. When we can be mindful, and somebody mentioned earlier being mindful and then um, kind of noticing that there, there's maybe something kind of pushing the experience behind it, but not really sure of what that is. So when we are not aware of what our relationship is to experience, we might be mindful, but we, we not knowing what the relationship is, we may unwittingly be kind of reinforcing that relationship or acting out of that relationship. And so this is a, is a simple tool to when you become aware, so the, the, the practice is basically, so notice those moments returning or notice that, wow, I haven't been paying attention to my switching between Dawson windows or my going through doorways, but here I am, I'm aware now. And what's happening now? Okay, you know, so what's obvious now? The feeling of the movement of my body as I make my bed. And now what's my relationship to what's happening? Now, that moment of mindfulness returning, we, we sometimes have a relationship to that moment itself. I mean, some of you pointed to this of, of you know, a kind of a beating yourself up for having not been mindful before. That's something to notice. First of all, that's, that's a piece to, to recognize. Okay, yeah, this, the mindfulness has returned and I'm feeling somehow like this is a problem that I wasn't mindful before. So noticing that, noticing what that relationship is. There's also sometimes a relationship to what we've actually woken up into, what we have become aware of. So 
maybe not for making the bed, but maybe for making the bed if you're really tired at night, for instance, or and you're you're getting getting into bed and uh, or getting ready to get into bed. I sometimes notice that um, when I get really tired, there's a little bit of aversion that starts to creep in, and I get annoyed if the the sheet kind of grabs on the pillow as I pull the bed down, as I pull the sheet down. And it's like, okay, there's, there's a relationship to what's happening. And it's useful to notice this. It's useful to notice that there's this kind of background aversion. And in this case, connected to being tired. When we can notice that, there's much more of an opportunity to, um, to practice patience, to practice... Um, just recognizing what's happening in that moment and potentially not following through on um, reinforcing that, reinforcing that underlying relationship. Our underlying relationship to experience tends to be based on our habitual tendencies, our habits, our patterns of mind. And so it is potentially going to reveal or tend to reveal you know, three basic flavors of reactivity, those based in greed, those based in aversion, those based in delusion. So the, the, and then there's a fourth relationship that I want to say right now, and we'll come back to it a little bit more later. Um, There can also be a relationship of, oh, this is okay. No problem happening right now or curiosity, or interest, or sometimes even might be felt as care, or love, or allowing, or, you know, so various flavors when the mind is okay with what's happening. But often, especially early in our practice, we experience one of these three flavors of uh, habits, habits of mind based in greed, aversion, or confusion, delusion. So to, to recognize, to begin to see these coming into, uh, when they come into mindfulness, they're not kind of operating below the surface anymore. And when they're operating below the surface, they tend to be reinforcing themselves because we don't, we're not aware of them. And when, when we're not aware of them, it's like they're running the show. They're, it's like they are driving our bus. So when we become aware of them, they may not go away, as somebody pointed to earlier. You know, it's like you may become aware and see, wow, I am in the midst of this greed attack or this aversion attack. But at least the mindfulness is there and we can start to potentially have a little bit of choice. But if not, then we are beginning to get a little bit of an education about what it means for greed or aversion to be present. What is that experience? I mean, typically when greed and aversion are present and we're not aware of them, we are not aware of the suffering that they are creating in our experience because we are focused on the thing that we want or the thing that we want to get rid of or you know, the thing that we want. When we're, when we're in a wanting state, we're often focused on the thing that we want and our mind is kind of landing in the future in terms of how great it's going to be when I get that thing. So we are not present right now for the experience of the wanting itself. With the aversion, it's kind of similar. We are kind of focused on the future of what it's going to be like when I get rid of that thing when I figured out how to control that thing, and we are not knowing in this moment so much how it feels to have that aversion. 
And so the, some of the education we get as we explore our minds, as we begin to notice what's going on, especially in our daily lives, we, we get a taste of, of what does it feel like to be wanting something right now? What is the human experience of wanting? What does it feel like to be averse to something right now? What is that human experience of aversion? And what we begin to see is that it is painful. So this is giving our minds a different education because habitually we've been focused on the results that would come from following through on the wanting or the aversion and not so aware of the suffering that is happening right now as a result of that aversion or wanting. And so as we become mindful of it, as we actually recognize aversions happening in this moment, what we may be seeing, as I said earlier, what we may be seeing is the suffering of that. We may be getting an education in how painful it is to have that quality of aversion going on in our minds, how painful it is to have that neediness of wanting things to be a certain way happening in our minds. And I also have to point to here, again, I said this earlier, but um, one of the things particularly about greed and aversion is that they have us so bought into their perspective often that happiness will result from following through on greed or happiness will result from following through on aversion and they both those both those 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 perspectives have a belief an underlying belief that if you don't act out of me out of wanting or out of aversion you wouldn't do anything that that that, that there's kind of a belief in there often for us that that we think that we would not take action if we did not want not, not have that kind of wanting attitude. And so this points to, or, or let's, let's use the word craving there, you know, the craving attitude. This points to um, a distinction that I'd like to make between what I'll call desire and wanting or craving. Because there is a form of desire that is not tied up with reactivity and is not tied up with suffering. It's, it's a desire. I mean, the, the, for instance, earlier I mentioned that compassion has a movement to act in the world. So there's a form of desire that's tied up with compassion. There's a form of desire tied up with generosity, a form of desire tied up with um, love kind of the open-hearted metta experience of, of just connection. There's, there's a movement to act based on these wholesome mind states. And so this is a very different kind of possibility for action. And yet when we're caught by the wanting and we're caught by the aversion, the belief is often that the only way something's going to change is if I act on this anger or if I act on this hatred or if I act on this wanting. And, and yet we can begin to, to recognize that it's like it serves us to explore and recognize how painful it is to be wanting and to be averse. It's not serving us in this moment. It's not serving us. And so the, 
the possibility of shifting to new motivations for our behavior. New, uh, rather than being um, constricted and tight around our motivations, when the heart is more open and more receptive, has that quality of love and allowing and connection, it also wants to act in the world. But when we're caught by craving and aversion, we're not going to see the possibility of acting from a different perspective. And there are times also when, when we have to um, act even though there is that aversion or craving in the mind. I mean, in our daily lives especially, this, this happens. We, 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 we may not have the option to, not, to wait until that aversion goes away or that wanting goes away before acting. And yet, potentially, as we recognize the, the mindfulness and we are aware of, oh, this is aversion happening in the, in the heart, we also might begin to recognize that that aversion it's kind of tied up with some other things, or there's some other things going on. It's not always purely. It's, it's actually rarely, I'd say, pure anger or hatred. There's often some other piece of the motivation of wanting to alleviate some suffering, of wanting to take care of family, of, of having a connection with somebody that, that means we want to act to support them and to, to, um, to prevent them from being harmed in some way. And so there, there is this movement often in our, um, in our wanting, our, our craving, and our aversion that's also connected to something that's more wholesome, you know, a, a, a compassion or a, a generosity or a kindness. And so sometimes as we, as we wake up into recognizing, oh yeah, what's happening right now is, is I'm in this situation and there is this attitude or this relationship of aversion going on. Seeing that, we might be able to also connect or recognize, and there's this wish for this, this suffering to not be happening. That there's this motivation of compassion in there too at the same time. Maybe we can kind of step a little bit towards the compassion in terms of acting. Maybe. Maybe that, that would be possible as we become aware of these relationships. And so just checking in in your experience as you become aware, as the mindfulness returns and you notice what's here and you notice what you're aware of, Another question to check in with at times, and it might, this might happen a little bit later in the week, but um, you might begin to be able to do this in the next day or so, to also check in, and what is my relationship to what's happening? Kind of take it, it goes a, step, a little step deeper into, uh, into our habits and patterns and to, to, to be curious about, okay, wha- what's going on behind the scenes here? Kind of let the, the attitudes and the relationship begin to bubble into our conscious awareness. And so we might find an attitude of greed, of wanting something to be a certain way, kind of a neediness or kind of a, a trying to hold on to something. It often has a kind of a, a, a grabby quality, this quality of, 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 of craving. 
Um, or it might be wanting something to go away, a kind of a pushing away, kind of this, this kind of uh, aversive response. Might be a sense of wanting me to get out of here, you know, like get me out of here. Or it might be a kind of a movement to get that thing out of here. Different flavors of the aversion might be in the fear category or in the anger category. And a whole range, irritation, frustration, annoyance, all flavors of that. So just, just noticing that. And then delusion is, is harder to see often. And I won't talk about this too much today, but over the week we can explore this some more. But a um, couple different flavors of delusion I'll just mention right now. One being um, kind of a disconnection, a not noticing, an unawareness of something. That's hard to see, of course, because we're not aware of it. Um, but that's one flavor. And sometimes the, the waking up into mindfulness, we get a flavor of that, a taste of that kind of quality of mind, of that disconnected quality, because as the mindfulness returns, we we do have a sense of, the difference between having been lost or disconnected and now being aware. And so we can get, almost in retrospect, a little flavor of that fog or that haze or that sense of disconnection. And as we begin to get familiar with that, we may also be able to, to open, to wake up a little bit in that fog or that haze. So that's one piece of, of delusion, is kind of a, a, a disconnection. Um, another uh, aspect of delusion is what I'll call views or beliefs. And this one can, we can begin to touch into a little bit. So sometimes you might check in, and say, what's going on? What's my relationship here? And it's not particularly an emotional thing, but there's some kind of belief there. And, and maybe there's a little bit of emotion and belief, like because, because aversion and greed both have their beliefs that are connected to them. So aversion, the, the feeling of aversion is, get me out of here, got to get rid of this thing, this thing's bad. It's kind of got that emotional quality. But the, um, the belief that might be tied to that is, there's no way to be happy until this thing goes away. So there's a, there's a kind of an underlying belief. And beliefs are pretty foundational in our lives. And often we are not really quite aware of what we're believing. But we can begin to be curious about that. Sometimes during the week you might, at times, if you're not seeing anything in particular happening, when you, you check into the question of, what's my relationship here to what's going on? You could explore replacing that question with, What's being believed right now? What's being believed right now? And that might get to even a a kind of a deeper level almost of not so much an emotional thing, but, but just the whole foundation on which our emotions are built. The beliefs, the views, the ideas on which our whole lives are constructed. And so that, that question, what's being believed right now, can begin to reveal that we are seeing things from a particular perspective, a particular view, a particular belief. And sometimes as those beliefs are revealed, we might see, wow, that belief seems just completely silly. And yet we may not be able to not believe it. 
I mean, it, it can be so deep, it's so deeply conditioned. Our beliefs are often very deeply conditioned. They often come in not through somebody teaching us, you need to believe this, but rather just through almost like osmosis. They come in just based on how we have interacted with the world, how our families interacted with the world, how we've seen people interacting. This is where our beliefs are formed. And so they're not often quite very articulate. It can be much more wrong, bad, you know, that kind of thing can, can be, you know, coming up. And, and we may um, just recognize it shouldn't be like that. That's the belief that comes up. Sometimes we see that shouldn't be like that is kind of ludicrous because, well, it is like this. Sometimes it, there are beliefs in there that are just so old and so um, conditioned on things that aren't relevant now that we can see, wow, this is... This doesn't even make any sense to believe this right now. And then there are other, other beliefs that come in and it's like, yeah, I'm on board for this one. I believe this one. This is, this is true. And yet, even beginning to, to recognize that, it, that there are things that we believe. It's like when we're not noticing beliefs, they are they are really what's running the show. Our beliefs are so powerful in terms of how we meet the world. And so as they get exposed, as, as we begin to see, oh, this is the belief that's happening. As I said, you might, there might be these various levels of believing it. It might be, might be a belief is exposed and it's like, wow, I don't even believe that. Rationally, I don't believe it, but boy, sure feels like I'm motivated by that one. So you, you can begin to um, see that the, we might be able to, to see that we don't have to believe things that are kind of deeply held. And yet what I often suggest there is not to try to convince yourself to not believe it. Because there, there's often something deep in there. Even if rationally we 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 recognize, wow, this doesn't make any sense to believe this. There is often something preverbal or something you know inner uh that that is that that does believe it it's like that's how i've navigated the world and i'm not going to change now just because you rationally don't believe it so that but but to expose it as belief as view gives the mind just a little bit of space around those beliefs often and so we may not be able to convince ourselves to not believe it and actually i'd encourage you not to try to do that but just to expose it this is what's being believed right now. And how much do I believe it? Do I believe it at all? Am I really on board for this one? Just kind of know what the belief is and how much you believe it. This, this creates a little bit of a different container about it because without, first of all, without the belief being exposed, without knowing that we are believing something, it is simply truth. We do not even question it. We may not even know the belief is there, and yet it's shaping how we choose to engage in the world because it's like our beliefs and our views are the ground out of which our choices come. And so as, as, it's, as it's exposed, maybe we can't particularly convince ourselves not to believe it, but we may be able to make a different choice in that moment. We might be able to do something a little different. And the... Um, Seeing it as belief, it gives the mind a little bit of perspective that's kind of like, 
okay, well, this is what's believed, and maybe and maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, you could, you could, you could try that on with beliefs. It's like, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe not. So this is a powerful way in which delusion comes in because when we do not see beliefs, they are, they are our kind of mode. That's like our, our operating system. That's how we engage with the world. Those beliefs in there kind of dis- decide and frame how we interact with the world. And when they're not seen, they are just going to be shaping our lives. And so when they are seen, something different can happen. Something, something different can unfold. And, and maybe there'll be a belief that's exposed that it's like, well, this one seems like a skillful belief. There are useful beliefs that we can engage in. For instance, one might be, it's useful to be mindful of looking at my beliefs. That's a belief. It's a view. And yet, it's very supportive. Knowing it as belief, I mean, we don't have to pick it up and say, you know, for all time, this is going to be the flag I'm carrying. But to recognize this is useful. The, the, the whole of the Buddha's path is framed with what's called right view or wise view. A perspective for orienting to how we pay attention to the world. And so we pick up that view and explore working with it and see what kind of results does it have. And so that's another thing we can begin to recognize. When a belief is exposed, acting out of that belief, acting out of that view, what happens? What unfolds acting out of that belief, acting out of that view? Does more suffering unfold? Or does it move us in the direction of more ease and peace and happiness? I'll choose to act, if I can, what out of a view that brings more ease, more peace, more happiness. There's something in the system that kind of wants to move in that direction. Our system kind of understands and knows and wants to move in the direction of more ease of mind, more peace, more um, calm, more open-heartedness, less constrictedness. And it may not always be felt as what we would call peace. Because often that word peace, we we may think, has the connotation of, uh, well, if I'm peaceful, it means I don't do anything. And yet the heart that is in this space of of non-reactivity, of open-heartedness, of non-constrictedness, and this is what I'll, I'll, we can look at as being the fourth kind of perspective that can be revealed in the checking the relationship, checking the attitude, is um, okayness. You know, it doesn't have to feel like great you know, love or compassion. It can be as simple as this is okay. This is not a problem. So many, f- there are many flavors of that relationship when sometimes we might check in to, and what's my relationship to this? Well, I feel okay about this. I feel okay about this. It's not indifference. It's not uh, like feeling like everything's wonderful, but I feel okay about this. Sometimes the quality can have more of a delight or a joy it might have a sense of curiosity or love or connection. So there's a lot of different flavors of the heart that is at ease, 
that is connected without that reactivity of greed or aversion or delusion. See, that? there's my something else that I wanted to bring in here. Mm. So I want to just, before we take questions, I want to try a little exercise with you um, to begin to kind of point you to some of the potentially habitual views or habitual flavors of relationship to experience. Um, And so we'll start by just, this is a little bit of a reflective practice. I'll just describe a little bit what we're going to do first. And this practice, this reflective practice I'm going to offer is a generally very useful tool that can be used in many ways. We're going to use it in one particular way today. Um, but it's a tool that, by which you can let yourself settle into a kind of a meditative place and then bring up some thoughts, bring up some particular um, images or particular situations and then see how you are in the moment, having brought those into your mind. Because thoughts are really powerful, and they tend to have an influence on how we are. And so if you let yourself settle in meditation a little bit and then bring a thought in, you'll probably notice some kind of relationship to that. And so that's what we're going to explore a little bit today. And so let's just settle for just a moment. And and, um, after we've settled for a few moments, I'll um, suggest some scenarios for you to consider. Okay, to start with, envision yourself walking into a store that you've never been in before. You get to pick what kind of store it is. That you've never been in this store before. What happens as you enter this store? Where does your attention orient? And what kind of relationship do you have to being in this new new store? So just create an image for yourself of coming into a, a new store and 
staying connected with how you are as you're imagining that. What kind of emotions come up? What kind of thoughts come up? What happens to the body as you do this? And are there any beliefs And letting go of that for now. Just we'll do a couple of these. We'll sit for another few moments just to just let that one go. Let the images go. And any residual feelings that are there, just kind of sit with them and maybe they'll settle a little bit in the next few minutes, next few seconds here. And now I'd like you to bring another scenario into mind. That of going into a kind of a social setting with a bunch of people you don't know. You're walking into this gathering. You don't know anybody. What happens? Where does your attention go? What kind of moods or emotions happen? Any beliefs connected to this situation? And staying in touch with your body is a great source of information, not only about body, but also about mind, about how you are in your mind in connection with this envisioning of being in this social situation with people you don't know. And then letting go of that. And let your, any feelings or emotions settle. Just not trying to push them away, but just resting maybe with the breath a little bit here. And the last scenario I'd like to suggest that you're meeting a dear friend in a place where you're familiar with the place, kind of a place you know well, and you walk up and you see your friend there. 
What's your relationship to this situation? What do you notice? Where's your attention drawn? And what's your relationship? What kind of feelings and moods are present? Any beliefs? And then letting that go, just settling with your experience in your body right now. Maybe with the breath or with hearing. So what kinds of, what did you notice there? Did you notice responses in relationship to the situations? That meditation was pretty powerful for me. Um, Setting the intention in the meditation of paying attention to the reactivity and even to try to open to the beliefs underneath them. It was great. (laughs) I I mean, (laughs) it was great because... uh, I, I share the I share the view that uh, are that my beliefs underpin m- my behaviors, my reactivity, m- often strong emotional r- responses or reactions to things. Um, and uh, I don't know it. it um, It sounds like it gave you yeah. a, a a taste of the the checking into it. Yeah. You know, to, yeah. To, that. To, and and how actually simple it can be to do that. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a long meditation, and this also you can use this kind of a reflective practice if you have a situation that happens uh, during your day in the evening. You can come back and sit and let that situation come up in your mind and notice what happened. Notice the relationship. Notice the views so that it gives you a little bit of space, even for like five minutes, to, to begin to uncover something that might not be available in the speed of our everyday life. I would add to that. I think it's powerful for me because I know and I don't give myself that time to, the no- to notice the beliefs or the reactivity. Uh-huh. I stay in the surface of maybe noticing some reactivity and then the aversion. To, to the reactivity? To the reactivity. Yeah. Or uh-huh. the greed to sit the reactivity that I find positive rather than... To just sit with it and be curious. Yeah. 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 And it's so powerful. I mean, the sitting with can be... 
it is so powerful. I mean, we don't... It, it's, it's sometimes hard to articulate why it's powerful, but um, so much transformation happens through the willingness to be curious about what's going on. And I think part of the reason it's powerful is that my sense is that our organism fundamentally wants to move in the direction of letting go of suffering, letting go of constriction and the the tightness and the tension that is typically around our hearts. And so as we begin to open to what's happening and feel that constriction, our system participates in wanting to move towards letting go of it. So it's, uh, it's, it's almost like magic, but it's not like, boom, magic. It's <laughs> it usually takes some time. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Anybody else want to comment about about this, yeah. That was a wonderfully manipulative set of scenarios <laughs> that you gave to us. <laughs> it really was. It was like the store one, you know, I was okay, curious. The social one, it was like you go into that unease. Oh, unease, 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 you know, with, with an unusual um, social situation where you, you don't know. It, it really, you really captured a subset of things that I felt wildly different about. <laughs> so that was a really nice experience. It was like, oh, okay, yeah. yep, those were good choices. Yeah, to, to just see the variety of responses we have to a variety of situations. Um, and yet, I mean, there, there, there could have been some variety. I'm curious, how many people were excited to walk into that situation, social situation where you didn't know anybody. So a few. I mean, it's, 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 it's less common, but, but there are different relationships to these things. <laughs> so excitement and nervousness were present. <laughs> So partly to, to just begin to be curious about these responses. Now, they're conditioned. You know, so we see it's not everybody doesn't have the same response. And so they are conditioned based on our history. And so to be curious about them. We also don't have to be um, ruled by our conditioning. Conditioning can change. I mean, well, that what has happened can't change, but our relationship to that can change. And so there's, there's a... a wide variety of of um, shifts that can happen. So for me, for instance, I tend to be, and this is something I meant to, to say earlier, that you might tend to notice one of the, of the three um, reactive attitudes, greed, aversion, or delusion. You might tend to notice um, uh, that you gravitate towards one more habitually than another. Um, I tend to gravitate, have tended to gravitate towards the aversive response. That's been my habit through my life. And, uh, you know, I will just see, I will, I, if I walk into a neutral room, I tend to notice what I don't like. You know, that habit of aversion is strong enough that it orients my attention to find things that I don't like. And so this began to be interesting to me to be curious about that because it's like I knew there w- it wasn't that everything I didn't like. 
but that that was the orientation. So that's kind of an underlying um, movement, an underlying tendency in that direction. And so if you can begin to identify a basic underlying tendency in a direction, then you can begin to um, uh, kind of recognize it at its subtler operation. You know, that just the, the little ways that that happens for you. I, I just like, I just began to notice, wow, it's everywhere <laughs> that I, th- I, you know, that I orient in this direction. And it, it could be little tiny things, even not to the point where I really feel aversion toward it, but just like, oh, don't like that. Don't like, no, no, they should do better here. <laughs> and, and it wasn't like a lot of suffering, but I could see that this was this was a view, this was a, this was a perspective that I had been conditioned towards. And then there could be a kind of a corrective around that. And just seeing it also, seeing those little push-pulls began to, it began to weaken, weaken that reactivity some. So we are nearly done with the day here. I want to just check in and see if there's any final questions. I do have some handouts here. Um, with the material that we mostly covered today. There's two handouts, one with the basic um, thing that I do every retreat, which is this one that has a staple in it. And then this one, where, which is kind of the special piece we're doing, which is noticing the relationship to the experience this week. So um, a, a noticing how we are with experience. So two handouts. You're welcome to take them both. Any any last final comments or questions? Um, before we end. Yeah. Like if something's too free in terms of the trigger activity thing, in terms of the trigger activity or, you know, like switching to DOS, what's, is, could it be too frequent? I mean, I know you said two or three times an hour. Uh, you know, I don't think it can be too frequent, but if you pick something that's very frequent, and reaching is one of those, we are constantly reaching. And so, I, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a high bar <laughs> to pick something that happens more in an hour. There's a little bit more uh, traction with something that's a little less frequent, uh, and maybe a little bit more um, kind of inspiration when you you begin to notice it than when you, you're so when you when you notice, wow, I've been reaching like it must have been five hundred times this morning and I didn't notice one versus oh I missed standing up the five times I'd stood up this morning. <laughs> it's a different quality in the mind. So, but but there are I mean there are a number of people here who've done this retreat multiple times and and as we go as you as you get more familiar with working with this it can be useful to pick something that is more pervasive because as you start to get familiar with reaching for this, reaching for that, just the very activity you see it's happening so much that if you can be awake for that, you're pretty much awake for your day. So there's some benefits, some pluses and minuses to that. Yeah. Other other comments. So this is a related question coming from a greed type. I um, am tempted when you describe the activity to pick three or four and not one. Uh-huh. Can you comment on this? Um, similar comment. Um, if you've done this before, 
picking more can be useful. And in fact, for those of you who've done this before, you almost don't have to pick the ones that you've done in the past because the very entering into this container will already have them popping up for you. So that's one of the benefits of doing this multiple times. I mean, Lauren can speak to that. (laughs) (laughs) They'll pick you, right? You just find yourself being being aware while you're washing your hands or opening doors. and, And so you don't have to make the effort as much with that. So I'd say pick one primarily. And then you might get a, a bunch of others along for the ride. If and and what also seems to happen, something I notice because we talk, especially the first the first morning, we'll talk about um, what people are choosing. And what I see happening for myself is that somebody, you know, so somebody is noticing when they touch doorknobs, or somebody is noticing when they stand up. I find myself when I'm standing up thinking, "Oh, that was so and so's activity. I'm noticing it." <laughs> And so it can, it, we can feed on each other by, by just talking about the variety. And, and we don't have to do, like, pick up so many. But we might start noticing more. So, and, and the more you notice, the better. <laughs> so you don't have to not notice. I mean, sometimes people have said, oh, well, I'm walking through this doorway right now and I'm aware, but does it count? Is it really a doorway? <laughs> It's an arch, you know. I'm walking out here and it's an arch. It's not really a... Di- so I don't have to be aware. But I'm already aware, you know. We, our mind can do these bizarre things like that. Anytime your mindfulness returns, just wake up to that. So I look forward to seeing... Oh, yeah, quickly, anything. Um, I was wondering... So you've, you've touched a little bit on that. With your practice of noticing the suffering that goes with... Um, aversion and greed, have you, over the years, noticed a change in intensity and frequency? Huge. Huge change. So the question was, over the years, have I, you know, so in talking about seeing the the suffering that comes with greed and aversion uh, in particular, delusion also, there's some suffering associated with that, but it's, it's harder to touch sometimes, the suffering with delusion. Um, um, have I noticed a weakening of reactivity? Have I noticed that it's it's gotten weaker? Huge change. It's like different mind, completely different mind. I basically used to be miserable. And now I'm basically happy. So that... And a lot of it had to do with looking at the mind being so reactive. So, yeah, huge, huge shift. Both through the meditation practice in daily life, the activity in daily life, and retreat practice, the, the, whole, the whole of it. But for me, the, the daily life practice has been a big part of that transformation. Yeah. So. Yes, yeah, and so Lauren has done this a number of times, and she's in a, a training program, a mentoring training program here at IMC. And so if you, um, and Betsy too, yes, Betsy also. Are you going to be here this week, Betsy? Or, yeah, so the, the, two, the two of them, if, um, if you have questions during the week and I'm busy or something, you're welcome to talk to the two of them. Um, yeah, so... So let's just sit for 
two seconds. No, ten. Let's do ten. May the benefits of our practice together today and this week be of support and benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings know peace of heart. Thank you. I hope to see some of you in the morning. (laughs) 7.30 here.